Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. From time to time, we will have uh, people, you know, if you look around and you look through our directory in our church, the church directory, you will think about what people are going through in their lives. And everybody has a trial of their faith. God makes sure that we go through trials and how we handle them as we see with Habakkuk, how he is trying to deal with what's happening in Israel in 605 BC. Well, we have trials in our lives too. And so this morning I have asked someone who's had a trial in her life and she is a dear lady. She's uh, been just such a friend, she and her husband, David. And I'm going to ask Tommy to come at this time. Hi, Gary. Gary's here, too. And we'll come right over here. And she's going to share with us how she has trusted the Lord through her situation. Thank you, Ernie. Uh, good morning. I have a question for you. Who here likes... Um, trivia. Uh, okay. Here's your question. Who in the Bible had the first bad eyesight? Anybody know? Oh, bad eye. <laughs> Sorry. I know, I know, it was corny, but if any kind of buddy can tell bad eye jokes, it's me, right? Um, my sister and I were both born with a retinal disease, and she and I were legally blind growing up. Well, actually, though, we had quite a normal childhood. We were, uh, like I said, legally blind, but we could actually ride bikes, if we held print up to our nose, we could read, we could see things. And uh, my parents were both believers. I never can remember a time that I didn't know Jesus loved me. And uh, so, like I said, it felt very normal. I also met my best friend and love of my life when we were 13 years old. That's David. <laughs> and he and I, skipping a few years, went off to college, got married, and started raising our children, little stair-step little girls, right, uh, immediately. <laughs> and early in David's career, we were transferred around a lot. We lived in California. We lived in Chicago. We were in Dallas twice. We went to... Uh, Atlanta, at Nashville, and we finally settled in, Det in Detroit, Michigan, uh, and lived in Ann Arbor because David was in automotive. Well, I'm sure you all remember 2008 and 2009. It was not a good time for our country, and it wasn't a good time for us personally. Uh, General Motors, Chrysler went bankrupt, along with over 200 suppliers in the automotive industry. 
And one of those companies was David's. Well, God, in his beautiful, wonderful, providential care, brought us to Evansville and provided a wonderful job. But I can tell you that I had a horrible attitude. David came home and said, we are moving to Evansville, Indiana. And I said, where? (laughs) By that time, we had two of our daughters were living in Ann Arbor, along with five grandchildren. And I was just, I thought, what is happening? So here we go to Evansville, and I didn't know a soul. I had a horrible attitude. And to make matters worse, insult to injury, one morning I woke up, and the legal blindness I had enjoyed, if you could call it that, uh, was gone. I could not see anything but light and motion and some blobs if they were held close enough to my face. And I was, uh, I, I couldn't see the food on my plate. I couldn't see my glass on the table. And we discovered that after uh, chemotherapy and radiation uh, due to breast cancer, I had developed an autoimmune response uh, which attacked my retinas and left me with the vision I have today. I felt like Habakkuk. I was saying, why, Lord? What are you doing? I knew about James, James 1, chapter 1, 2, and 3. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you endure various trials, because the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider it all joy? Really? And then Paul, uh, I think in 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 17, he says that his light and momentary afflictions are preparing an eternal weight of glory uh, beyond comparison. And of course, you know, Paul, (laughs) he had horrible things happen to him, terrible trials. And I thought to myself, you're calling them light and momentary? But then God, in his marvelous grace and mercy and tenderness, began to speak to my heart by the power of his spirit through his word. And he assured me that all things were working together for my good and his glory in order that I would be conformed to the image of his son. And he so tenderly and sweetly showed me that Paul, and I'm sure you're all familiar with it, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul asked God three times to remove the thorn in his flesh. And God said, 
No, Paul. My grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in weakness. Where you're weak, I'm strong. And then Paul says the most amazing thing. I will boast in my weakness because the power of Christ rests on me. And then Peter as well. First uh, Peter uh, 4.12, I think it is. He talks about fiery trials. And of course, uh, he's talking about persecution for Christ's sake, but still fiery trials. And Peter says that during these trials, the power of God and glory rest on those who suffer those trials. Wow. The power of Christ and the power of God and glory? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I uh, just can't tell you uh, the, the change in my heart. The, the change in my heart. At night, when I go to bed, I put my head on the pillow, and oftentimes I say the 23rd Psalm before I fall asleep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace for from him and through him and to him are all Things to the praise and glory of God. Amen. Thank you, Tommy. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. Yes. I know. Well, 
I feel like we have our own Fanny Crosby here. Yeah, she may not have written 8,000 songs. Have you written 8,000 songs, Tommy? Not a one, but she can sing it, and she has scripture memorized, and um, in our, one of our studies, we were um, talking about the providence of God, and I quoted from uh, Fanny Crosby, and Tommy was there, but in Warren Wiersbe's book, 50 People Every Christian Should Know, you should get a hold of it, it's very cheap, it's on Kindle, but here's how the chapter on Fanny Crosby starts. I believe myself still really in the prime of life, wrote Fanny Jane Crosby at the age of 83. So there you go. (laughs) As we're getting older, remember that. Okay, um, let's see. Yes, Scott, now you were twins then. Did I get that straight or not? No, No, you were not twins. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. Wonderful, wonderful. All right. Well, let me um, quickly review. Last week, we're talking from Habakkuk. Why is God letting these things happen? In that case, it was those nasty Babylonians, the Babli king of Babylon, coming in with his horrible soldiers, totally merciless. And we looked at these things. God's ways are strange. God's ways are often mysterious. We don't understand them. Why does God let this happen? His answers are often unexpected. You pray one way and he answers another way. Uh, He uses strange instruments to correct his people. Um, I mean, every one of us could probably stand up and say, yes, he's used that to help me be more faithful to God. He uses strange instruments to correct his people. In Habakkuk, of course, it was the Babylonians. Um, And then his ways are often misunderstood. And we saw last week in chapter 1, verse 5, and that is a great verse. I think Dan Jost uh, quoted it. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, says God, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. And uh, sure enough, the Babylonians came in to uh, Israel, remembering just historically were 605 BC. A few years later, in 586, the Babylonians came in, destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem, took all that gold and silver back to Babylon, and took the people of Israel, Judah, back into captivity. Daniel and Ezekiel and others had already been taken over there. But so now we have that time of 70 years. Uh, up until for 70 years and then at the end of that 70 years you remember God is going to raise up a man that he named I think a hundred years ahead of time his name was Cyrus and the Persians and that's who sent Ezra and Nehemiah and 50,000 Jews back to the land and they began to rebuild and that takes us into those 400 silent years between the testaments so it's just really good really important for believers to have a, a basic grasp on the history of uh, the Old Testament and what is happening. Now, <clears throat> we're talking this morning, and uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I'm kind of following him, like I said, and then kind of adding in other things, but um, the prophet's perplexity, and that's what we have in chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to read those verses this morning, so if you have your Bible, you can follow along or just, just listen. 
Verse 11 ends with these Babylonians. They, they worship their power. Their power is their God, not unlike today. Humanism, secularism, our power is what we can accomplish. Technology, for them it was their weapons and their power to conquer others. Um, verse 12, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We will not die. Yet you, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they, the Babylonians and the people of Judah? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with their net, gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net because through these things their catch is large. He's just describing Babylon's, the Babylonians and how they're conquering their enemies and gathering them together, whether they kill them or take them back as captives. They're like fish in the net. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing so these are raw, raw pagans, know nothing of the true and living God. By the way, I don't know if you remember this, but I think Ezekiel, I uh, put this down here somewhere, Ezekiel 17, 17, I think it is. Uh, anyway, the, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he's the one that they, he looked at the liver. You can, you can read about it in Ezekiel. Maybe it's 27, 27. He looked at the liver and he looked at the arrows. You know what they did? They, <clears throat> they would take a chicken and pull, pulled apart and, and they had wise men, so-called, who could read that liver. And they had, they had models and if there were little marks on the liver at various places, that would tell them that was a sign from the gods that they should go this way or do this. And then they also threw arrows down when they came to a divide in the road and they threw arrows down and the gods would put an arrow going in the way that, that the gods said that they should go. Just paganism like that is just really interesting. Now, uh, what, to, what to the natural person... Let's see. Let me, let me uh, precede that. The Christian should try to understand the significance of the news of the day. Are you following the news of the day? Do we have a Supreme Court justice potential? Yes, yes we do. Good. You know that. We should be aware of what's going on and learn to interpret events spiritually in light of God's instructions to the church. The only problem there is the Bible is not like a reading tea leaves, and so we don't know oftentimes what God is doing. We don't know why God's raising up the Syrians and putting down the, you know, the Iraqis or whatever. We don't know what God is doing, but at least we know God's in control. What to the natural person is utterly abhorrent and even disastrous may be the very thing God is using to chastise us and to restore us to a right relationship to himself. We must not jump to hasty conclusions. And so, here come these monstrous Chaldeans. They're coming. Why? Why are they coming? How are you going to interpret that? How is Habakkuk interpreting it? And here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. We have to be careful when we, when we 
interpret anything that happens in history. He says, first of all, the biblical approach, uh, excuse me, that's the heading, biblical approach to the problems and perplexities of life. Number one, stop and think. Stop, whatever's happening. The message from the doctor, what, the, the job that you just lost, whatever is happening, stop and think. Don't jump to hasty and false and fearful conclusions. James 1.19 says, be swift to hear, don't, uh, don't jump to conclusions. Number two there, remember basic principles. Return to what you know for sure. When things are not going the way you wish they were, when you find out that you have something in your body that you really weren't asking for, Okay, stand back, stop. What, what do we know for sure? That's important. What do we know for sure? Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor. He used the indirect approach. Remind yourself of things that are solid in your understanding. Return to eternal and absolute principles. God is God. Romans 8, 28 is true. No matter what's going on, it's true. God uses trials to grow us. These are things that we know for sure. God has not left me. I am with you, he says. Paul in prison was waiting for execution, but he said, the Lord stood with me. I know where I'm going. We know God never promised his people lives free from troubles, difficulties, or even tragedies. And then apply the principles to the problem. Apply the biblical principles to the problem you're dealing with in the context of the bigger picture. We know God is sovereign. We know his ways are above ours. Bring your theology into your problem. That's something that we need to learn. When you're facing something, don't leave your theology at home. Bring your theology with you. Bring your understanding of God with you into, into interpreting what's going on. It's kind of like put your problem, whatever it is, in the context of who God really is. And that is so important. That's, that's living biblically. Take your problem to God. See it in the, in the, picture, in the context of God. It's kind of like, like interpreting Scripture. We interpret Scripture in context, right? You don't understand what something, something means. You look at the context. For example, um, judge not, lest you be judged. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we can't make judgments of things? And you're going to hear about this in the message this morning. Well, you go into the context. What's he talking about? And he's, he's all about... Seeking God's kingdom first, taking the log out of your own eyes. So be careful about judging people's motives. It has nothing to do with judging false teaching. Uh, all things are, are uh, okay. All things are lawful. Whoa, what does that mean? All things are lawful. Well, you've got to put that in the context of the book of Corinthians and of the Christian teaching. It doesn't mean that it's okay to go out and commit fornication or adultery or get drunk or whatever. It's, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that there, for the believer, there are no legalistic restrictions like there were under the Old Testament. So anyway, apply the principles to the problem. And then finally, I think I've got one more. When in doubt, when doubt persists, commit the problem to God uh, with prayer. Take it to God, casting your care on Him. Now, uh, the problem of God's in action. Why? I want you to look at good, uh, Judges. Some of you ladies are going to be reading, uh, studying Judges. Look back at Judges chapter 5, I believe it is. 6, excuse me. Judges chapter 6. 
Judges chapter 6 and verse 13. And here we have Gideon. Here we have Gideon. And Gideon is threshing, trying to get some grain out of all of the, what's that other stuff, what's the stuff that floats away? Chaff, thank you. Thank you. Uh, he's, he's there threshing and he's um, in the pit. And look at verse 13. Here's a great question. Because the Lord comes to him. The angel of the Lord came to him. Verse 13. Then Gideon said to him, to the angel of the Lord, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers experienced and told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midian, of Midian. See, that's a picture of where we so easily go. If God, if you are so powerful, why aren't you doing something here to correct this situation or this trouble that I'm having? How many young Christian couples start out with this idea that because we're Christians, we go to church, we read our Bible, uh, we're, we're trying to live for Jesus, we've got this nice little marriage, we've got this nice little house, we've got this nice little car, and a nice little job, and two, or two jobs maybe, and then we got some nice little children, and go to a nice little church with a nice little pastor or pastors and nice little Christian friends who will help them through the little rough spots and so everything will be really nice. Right? No. Bam. A miscarriage. Bam. A job terminated. Bam. A handicapped child. Bam, one of those nice little Christian friends spread some nasty rumors about you. The pastor isn't as nice as you thought he was after all. Bam, one spouse turns into something unforeseen. How did this guy ever become like that? That's not who I married. Bam, a huge tragedy and one of their children is taken by cancer. What happened to our nice little Christian dream? Why isn't God doing something? If you are God, don't you love us? Aren't you good? Do you exist even? These are some of the things that um, perplex God's people. They perplexed Habakkuk. Why are you doing this? Are you helpless? Couldn't God stop them? Why did God allow? Why did God allow all that liberalism in the 1800s in Germany to come over to America to the seminaries and now we've got all these liberal churches that are spouting out false teaching. They're not preaching the gospel. Why, why did God allow that? Why? Why did God allow Roe v. Wade to pass? Why? God could have stopped that. Why did God allow that same-sex marriage ordinance or whatever it's called to go through? He could have stopped that too. All kinds of things. Is God in control? Why is he allowing this stuff? Why did he let that guy run into the back of Fifth Third in Cincinnati on 
when was that, Thursday or Wednesday, and shoot, what, three people? And then, did he shoot himself? I forget. I mean, where is God? Why aren't you doing something, God? Well, how do we handle this? How do we handle it? We go back to the basics, and that's what Habakkuk's going to do here. Uh, back to Habakkuk. I'm in Judges. Habakkuk. Let's go back to what we know for sure. What does Habakkuk do? Here's what you do. Get your God glasses on. Get your God glasses on. Stop looking at life as from a man-centered, humanistic, you know, I, I thank my lucky stars perspective. <laughs> Let's remember who God is. Get your God glasses on. Get the divine viewpoint. Nothing, Warren Wearsby said, nothing like a fresh view of God's glory to give us strength. And so, Habakkuk says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? Are you not from everlasting? Remember, we live and serve, live for and serve an eternal God. An eternal God. This is one of the most reassuring truths about God. God is outside all the flux and movement of history. God is over it. He preceded history. He's eternal. He preceded history. He comes after history is over. He is in history. He even determined history. He rules history. And the prophets constantly beat this theme. Is he not from everlasting to everlasting? Let's not forget that. The eternal God. Uh, I read Thomas Watson last night in his Body of Divinity on the eternality of God. So good. But God is eternal. And we see everything around us in the light of that. Bring that truth to bear. Number two. Verse 12, O Lord, he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God? Yahweh, Lord. What does that mean? O Lord, you are the I am. That's from Exodus chapter 3. Tell them Yahweh sent you. Yahweh. You are, that word Yahweh or Lord means uh, self-existence, really. I am who I am. Self-existence. So we live for, in the midst of our problems, and in the midst of these trials, we are living for, and God is for us, the self-existing God. That is an amazing reality to keep in our noggins. Uh, it's called the aseity of God. He is the uncaused true and living God. Yahweh. Eternal I am. Not dependent on this world. He is glorious in his uncaused nature. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, as you think about God, eternal, self-existent, and he's our God, then our problem begins to fade because we're amazed by who God is. Third is, he is self-existent. So I think I already said that. Go to the next one. God is holy. God is holy. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? 
He is absolutely holy. Therefore, God cannot do anything unjust. Right? He is holy. Now, how can he look on these Chaldeans with favor? What's the answer to that? It is his choice, but he's also not looking on them with favor. He's using them. And they're in big doo-doo as time marches on because the Persians are going to clobber them. You see, the Allies clobbered Hitler and his crew. Finally. Finally. Holy. Are you not holy? Will not, who said this? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Who said that? We just read it in our Bible reading. Lord, if there's 40, will you destroy it? Abraham, right? If there's 30, you just read that yesterday, I believe. Four, you know, 10. Did he go to five? Did he stop at 10? I forget. But he said, will not the, the judge of all the earth do right? And yes, he will. He's a holy, holy God. And then number four, he's almighty. You, O Lord, let's see. Uh, where are we here? Yeah, verse 12. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. Okay. And you, O rock, have established them to correct. He is the rock. And that speaks of his power. He is almighty. Who is our God? He is the omnipotent God. What did he do? He, not only is he self-existent, he never came into existence, he always was, a saiety, uncaused. But not only that, but he's omnipotent. And that means that he could speak a universe into existence. Omnipotent, powerful. He can open up the Red Sea. Just by his word, he can raise his son from the tomb. He is the powerful God. Habakkuk, we must remember these things. That's what Habakkuk is doing. He's reviewing. What do I know for sure about God? He's holy. He's powerful. He is the rock. Anybody know a good verse that talks about God being the rock? Feel free to talk here. I'm not. I want you to talk. Rick, go for it. Oh, yes. I know it is. <laughs> okay, we'll just go with that, man. It's a good verse in, in, in uh, Isaiah 26. That one, yeah. Yes. That's the one I was thinking about. Do, do you have it memorized? What is it? Okay, I get hard to hear you, but that's a, such a good verse. Such a good verse. Ben. There's a song called The Lord My Rock and My Redeemer. It's based off Psalm 1914. Amen. The Lord is my rock and my redeemer. Good. Well, Almighty. He is the rock. He is the rock. Oh, it's Isaiah 26 4, Rick. I see it down there. Okay, and then number five, He is faithful. He is faithful. And we get that from uh, the promise. Um, let's see, where is that? We will not die. 
Where am I not seeing that? Verse 12, thank you. We will not die. Oh boy, what does he mean by that? What's that stuck in there for? Because, because God is faithful to his people and I think you have to interpret that in light of God's promises through Abraham to the Jewish people, to the Hebrews, to Judah. We will survive. We will not die. God is not going to let take us out of existence. Let me ask you something. Is Israel in existence today? Guess what? Tonight is Rosh Hashanah. Is that how you say that? Rosh Hashanah. I'm not speaking in tongues, believe me. The new year. The new year. And guess what this year is? And it's really easy for me to remember. This is the 70th anniversary of the state of Israel. Now, 1948. It was a very good year. <laughs> now, um, where is it going to go? I don't know. I don't know. I, I love, I love reading the history of modern Israel. These, I just watched the little clip last night on the Yom Kippur War, Egypt, Syria, totally against all odds against them, and they won. I, I don't know what God's doing. I have no idea, but I do believe that God's going to work in their hearts as a nation in the future. So, but we will not die. He remembers that, and God is faithful to his promise. He made a covenant with Abraham. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. By the way, uh, uh, in World Magazine, Marvin Olasky, I really like Marvin Olasky. He, wrote, he always writes an article at the end, and he talks today, uh, this last week, this last issue, about Israel. And now think about this. Just throw this out, faithfulness of God. The Holocaust. How many Jews? Six, six million. Six million. Six million. Marvin Olasky note, makes note that it was because of the Holocaust that gripped the nations when they found out about it that caused the nations, including America, to allow for a state of Israel. You talk about seeing something good come out of something horrendous, there it is. Because of those six million Jews those six million deaths. Even the nations were horrified by the gas chambers and voted for a homeland for the Jews. And uh, I'm thankful that we are uh, supporting Israel as a nation, even though they are not believers over there. Don't, don't get to thinking that they're, they're Christians. They're, they're, yeah, they're... So. So anyway, Habakkuk brings these problems into the context of God. Eternal, self-existent, holy, almighty, faithful, wonderful. Um, by the way, the book of Lamentations. We don't have time to go there, but the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Lamentations is Jeremiah describing the post-destruction of Jerusalem. And, I mean, it is a horrible read. You should read it. It just horrible. But tucked into chapter 3 is but. But. And it's in your Bible. But. If you have a King James, it's yet. 
But God, just like here, we will not die. God is merciful. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. No matter how horrible things are going. And brothers and sisters, I'm talking to other brothers, especially here in our congregation, and telling me some of the ordeals that they've had at the hospital and stuff they've gone through. I said, no, Lord, I don't want to go through that. Please keep me from that. We pray for one another. But no matter what, we've got to remember and hang on to that God is faithful to us even though we don't understand why he's allowing this to come. And we all suffer, by the way. If you're just getting old, you're suffering. suffering. I bet if you're over 100 years old, you feel, don't feel as spry as you did when you were 30. Not yet. <laughs> God is almighty. Did I not? Oh, I didn't go. I didn't keep up with you guys on this one. Uh, okay, then, then finally... And I'm going to go through this rather quickly because I do want to end with a song this morning, uh, a, a YouTube song. Uh, the problem of a holy God then using a wicked nation for his purposes. How can a holy God, a sovereign God, allow such things to take place? And this is really, really hard. And number one... A holy God hates sin and can do no evil. Verse 13 says that. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You can't look on wickedness. And I notice the New American Standard adds in italics, with favor. You can't look on wickedness with favor. Then how can God use this wicked nation, these Chaldeans, to do his will? Why is God allowing the godless of our time to flourish? And the church, in many cases, to weaken. We know God can't look on evil without hating it. Can you imagine what God sees every day? Have you ever watched on documentaries? Hopefully you didn't see it in person. But have you ever watched an execution where one man stands there and shoots another human being? Horrible. Just one of those is horrible enough. Imagine what God looks on when he looks on this world. Horrible things that human beings do to one another. How can you let it go? He sees it all. Number two, when you don't get, when you don't understand, take the problem to God and leave it there. When you don't understand, I don't understand what's going on. I have an article that was in Desiring God by a, a gal. Her name, you may be familiar with her, Vanitha Rendell Reisner. She got polio. She, she said, I concluded that God wasn't good, didn't exist, or didn't care. And then she had a child to die. And she ends her article, while we may not learn the specific purpose behind each struggle, we do know that God uses suffering to increase our dependence on him, to deepen our faith and draw us closer to him, to refine our character, to prepare us for ministry, to comfort others with the comfort we've received. And as we rejoice in him, 
through pain. And I think Tommy so well expressed this. God is glorified. From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Number three. Um, number three, Jesus gives us an example of this. A horrific thing faces this human being, Jesus, the God-man. In the garden, remember? In the garden. And he is filled with grief, filled with intensity. What's the word I... Agony. Why? Because he knows what is in front of him. And it's not just being nailed to a Roman cross like thousands of others have, were nailed to Roman crosses. It's because you know what he's facing. He's looking into the cup of the wrath of God. And you just picture Jesus down on his face on the ground in real time. This human being. Father, if it's possible, if it's possible, let this pass. Let this cup pass. If there's any other way, I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. So what? Do I have these on your paper? Yes, Remember who your God is. Um, well, we're just going to have to skip the song, Ben. Sorry. Let's listen to it anyway. You want to? Okay. Do you have all the fill-ins? Okay. Okay, go ahead. Oh, you can't do both, can you, Ben? Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll give them to you. This is from the poem that I read last week. It's really beautiful.
grace they left the gourds part out did you notice Dan Gelock said the gourds comes from Jonah when God blasted that vine and apparently it was a gourd vine I don't know about that but maybe it was let's pray thank you father your ways are not our ways your ways are far above our ways but if we had it our way it wouldn't be good your ways are good and right and true and just and Lord thank you that we can trust you that great is your faithfulness thank you that we know you do allow these inward trials and outward trials to grow us to help us to cast us on you in your name i pray amen